Welcome to the Catch 22 Minutes podcast, where we discuss some of the UK's major social challenges. We speak to frontline experts, industry leaders, and people with lived experience, all in pursuit of ideas for reforming public services. My name is Josie Cochran, Comms Manager at Catch 22, and in this season, alongside our guests, we'll be focused on solutions. Solutions which could impact every aspect of the justice sector, from how we support victims to the way individuals are supported in our prisons and in the community. has accelerated the justice sector's adoption of technology. From video conferencing to virtual court hearings, it's an opportunity to revolutionise the way we treat people within the justice system. But bringing technology to UK prisons brings unique challenges, from issues with digital access to dealing with the structural challenges of old Victorian-style prisons in parts of the UK, all the way to upskilling staff, many of whom are already stretched. To discuss this and more, today we are joined by James Levy from Socrates 360 and Code 4000's Jim Taylor. Socrates are developers of technology which support staff in both prisons and the community to do their jobs. Code 4000 trains prisoners to become software developers and then supports them into launching their careers on release, minimising reoffending. COVID-19 has accelerated how technology is used in our prisons. What do you think are some really powerful examples of how technology can improve the current justice system, particularly in prisons? James, do you want to start off? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big question. I mean, things everyone knows about the video calling that's that's gone on and things like that. I think what, what's really happened is it's allowed people in prisons and probation to realise what a requirement, what a need there is to, for everybody to have more digital services within prisons and, and probation, that's for sure. Do you think there's any digital solutions which have been put in place which you think could be problematic long term or you think aren't? So, Because we talk about all the positives, but do you think there are things we should be watchful of if we're going to put these things in place long term? The only thing that, that jumps to mind is there have been some issues where the video calling systems have been commercially sort of publicly available systems so using zoom or uh, whatsapp and so on that probation officers have, have been using you end up finding well, you know there's been some issues with privacy things like the security side of it where some people have been able to maybe join a meeting as well that they shouldn't have been joining and listening and things really important one for that is the data so you know you potentially lose the data sovereignty um, you know the data goes out of the sovereign country where you want to keep that data, even if you're not recording a call or anything like that, that data, if it's on WhatsApp, Zoom or Teams, it's generally not going to stay in the UK or whatever country you're, you're doing these things. And it gets bounced around to different servers. And it's not a major problem at the time because the main major problem was not having access to people. So it was fixing a problem. However, we're now seeing the, the conversion of some of those probation services and prisons that have been using those systems to, to now look at using the specially set up specific systems that house the data in the sovereign country, delete the data when it's appropriate, have all the security requirements and so on that, that's expected from a government service for the sort of privacy that's involved in these calls. And Jim, any thoughts on that? Any any sort of digitalization moves that you think you're not sure about implementing long term? It, it's less about what could be problematic and more about stopping here. Obviously, it's got to be observant of safety and security. 
But it's less about saying, you know, what could be problematic and more about saying, well, if we stop here, for me, that would be problematic. Let's see how we can make further progress with technology within uh, secure environments. So you've both got amazing examples of what can be done to improve the digital offer, both in and outside the prisons. James, could you just talk us through how digitalising the probation system could impact reoffending? Yeah, sure. First of all, Sam, I'm a massive fan of Code 4000. I was, I was actually lucky enough to get to uh, Humber Prison, former HMP Wolds, about probably four, maybe five years ago, at one of the launch events. And I've been watching ever since. It's absolutely fantastic. And you're absolutely right. It, it fulfills a need in, in the employment sector that everyone's crying out for developers, you know, low level, high level, full stack, everyone's in demand at the moment. So, and it will continue that way, I'm sure. So, um, there will always need to be a need for prisons, Josie. Um, and, you know, prisons do serve, a, will serve a place in the community. I think far too many people are put into prison for you know, low level crime and just bad luck and being with the wrong crowd. And, and, and then unfortunately, a lot of the time they'll, if they go to the wrong prison at the wrong time, they'll come out worse with less chance than when they went in the first place. So being able to have the remote probation system that with ours, everyone knows about ankle tags we, we don't do ankle tags but what we do with the app is we have a voluntary monitoring system so it means that people can check in when they go to different places when they get to work when they get to college or randomly they might be asked to check in throughout the day um just to you know show where they are and, and also it's, it's not just checking up on them security wise it, it's making sure that they're okay you know we ask we can ask questions when they check in you know, have you have you any any thoughts about relapsing? You know, have you had any thoughts about drinking if they if they've got an alcohol problem? And you know, rather than asking if they have relapsed or whatever, asking if they've had thoughts on relapsing allows us to then divert them very quickly to to someone to be able to you know whether they go to a centre or someone comes to them or someone's just done a video call for them or there's a mentor for them. Um, you know, all these things can be be dealt with so quickly with technology with the data that that's there. Everyone carries a phone around with them, right? It doesn't take you long once you've left the house to think, oh, I've left my phone at, my phone at home or at someone's house or whatever in the car or whatever. Accessing support through one app on your phone in the community, as I say, whether it's help filling out your CV or help with a job application or you know, anything at all. It's all, there's help there. It's just diverting them to it. It happens so often. People just don't know that there's this support there. They don't know that they can go somewhere like Timpsons and they'll provide them with some, you know, some smart clothes to go for a job interview, you know, and there's all these really cool schemes around the country. So the app connects start, them to that. Absolutely. App. Yeah. So the app will connect them to those. And of course, you know, it also takes having mentors or staff that know where to find this so they can help people. You know, some people are more digitally advanced than others. Mm. For others, they might need help where to find certain things on the app. But again, you know, that's part of the, the community in the community of, of supporting them um that sounds amazing my only question is just obviously lots of people do have smartphones but somebody that's been in prison for the last 10 years how do you go about showing them how to use a smartphone and also how how do they access one like do they get given a phone on release i think nacro have some um some support for people that where they can help get them a phone if they haven't got a phone in the community and other other support available as well like that it, it, you're absolutely right though you know when you go into a prison and you show someone a tablet 
and you show someone that's on a sort of 20 year sentence and then, you know, coming to the end of it and you, you zoom in on the screen on the tablet and their eyes, well, what did you just do? You know, cause they've never seen someone touch a screen and zoom in to look at something bigger before. And so we've got a partnership with British telecom uh, for the UK and we're providing tablets with British telecom uh, to every prisoner in HMP five wells there's Wi-Fi enabled right away across the prison as well. So they get Wi-Fi in their cell or any communal areas. That Wi-Fi is everything goes through the Socrates server and the BT servers. So, so we, we just send them out to, say, access to Britannica securely online, to Britannica portal, or we can send them to the Open University portal. You know, as long as it's a secure portal that we're sending it to, we can divert that traffic to them code 4000 for example and um, so it just means there's going to be that accessibility that that's never been seen before in a, in a uk prison what about having systems like this in really old prisons you know when we're th- talking about victorian style buildings um that's obviously going to impact the ability to have wi-fi across the board is that a barrier to to these prisons to implement technology like this it is absolutely, you know, cabling a Victorian prison is very, very difficult. Um, you know, some might say it's, it's almost impossible. Um, you know, the, the walls are so thick and the existing trunking and things without getting too technical, it, it's massively difficult. So what, what BT and ourselves have done is where there isn't Wi-Fi. So, you know, if, if say you had Wi-Fi in the communal areas, you'd be able to do your updates download information, download learning courses, download videos and all sorts of things that that you can then go back and watch and learn in your cell without having the Wi-Fi connectivity. So it's a a hybrid offline, online system. That then allows the the older prisons to gradually add more Wi-Fi access points around the prison. And the more they add, the better live connection they have, which means that staff, you know, the more connectivity they have, the easier it is for staff to communicate backwards and forwards with with the prisoners and so on and but i think every other system i've looked at in the world requires that wi-fi connection to literally do anything at all and the the bt socrates system i think that's where it's going to be a, a game changer because the point is is literally tomorrow you could go to pentonville or, or somewhere like that and you could very quickly put the Wi-Fi access points in, say, the, the education area. And then, you know, you've, you've got a point then where people can go and update things. They can download information. They can download the courses. Then they could add them in the wings as they go along. And you can just grow this system that becomes more and more connected and more and more useful, but without having to do everything all at once, which is obviously just uh, so expensive if you're trying to trying to put Wi-Fi across somewhere like Pentonville from day one. It's just, yeah, it's it's cost prohibitive if you're going to do that across 120 prisons generally. So we, we like to think that we're, we're onto something with BT with this, with this solution. Awesome. Jim, have there been any barriers for you for particularly when you've spoken to prisons on why they can't implement systems like this? One of the biggest challenges that we have is, is introducing something that is completely new to a prison. Technology in prisons is, is such a massive cultural shift. I've worked in prisons for nearly 10 years now, and it's only maybe the past couple of years that we've been talking about using technology the way we've been talking about using it. I understand the uh, the reasons that they have to be cautious with regards to the technology, but 
it's the cultural shift that's slow, I think. And I think that's one of the barriers. Yeah, you've got the infrastructure, you've got the technology, but at the same time, you've also got several, you know, 180 or so institutions around the country that, that have never really given that much thought to how residents can access technology. Given that more prisons are being built every year, not just in the UK, but other countries as well, and we're now building these digital tools to make it even easier to manage these prisons and those inside, do you not think it's potentially making it easier to send even more people to prison? How can we use technology to actually prevent people ending up in prison in the first place? And, and what are your thoughts on what I just said? James? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, we want less people to go to prison. But unfortunately, whether it's government policy or certain perspective of the the public, public opinion in some countries, particularly or some regions. And let's face it, that is a small minority, albeit a loud minority. It does affect things like trying to do more community sentences. All around the world, people are trying to divert people from prison, partly because of trying to save money. However, you've still got to you know, understand that public opinion and the mainstream media and sensational journalism will always pick up on the, the, the small percentage of problems that happen you know, when someone's released early or someone goes on rattle or someone is you know, doing a community sentence instead of in prison and something happens and that person does something that you, know, you, can't, you, you, it's, you can't quantify all of the things, all the positive things. You just hear about the, the small negative thing, the minority of negative things that happen. So I think it's, it's a, we have to be careful that our, that our governments uh, are doing the right thing with diverting people from prison and that anyone that understands that it's the last, that should be the last resort sending someone to prison, you know, people like us in the sector, we need to you know, talk to people, talk to your friends and your family and like we all do. And, and public opinion is changing. You know, people are realising more and more that prisons aren't, aren't the answer for most people. Yeah. They are a requirement, but they're not the answer for, you know, in my opinion, for, you know, for, for a lot of people that, that go into prison. Yeah. So am I right in thinking that your software also works on those community sentences too? Yeah, so it's a sliding scale. If someone's not checking in when they need to be or where they should be or they're not in their curfew when they should be at home on a home sentence after 10 o'clock at night or something, then you can put them on an ankle tag. Mm. And if they're still not not doing what they need to do, then maybe that person does need a, a few months in prison to come back out. And you know, but if someone's doing everything they need to be, voluntary checking in where they should be as they should be, then at some point, you know, you reduce that to less and less because they've gained your trust, right? And if you if you trust someone, if you give someone trust, you know, that's how to make someone thrive quite often. And because a lot of people haven't had that that trust or a trusting relationship mm. and they've really been told what to do. They've been institutionalized. So we're we're trying to let people take control of their own lives in a sort of soft, monitored way where we can sort of ramp up extra monitoring or less monitoring and depending on what's required and what cohort yeah. they're from and, and whether it's for security or for the benefit of their health or, or something like that. But what about, isn't there an element where you need to build that trust with the probation officer early on? There needs to be that human to human relationship. Otherwise, they're essentially building trust with an app rather than a person. Absolutely. So, you know, again, depending on, I'm talking more with some of the US customers that we've got. It really depends on what staff they got and what support. You know, we're working with a customer in California that has got so much support available and they're trying to do as much face-to-face as possible. And then there's another state that we work in where they, they haven't got the staff available. So they're having to rely 
on sort of the remote nature of it and the automation and things like that. So yes, it's great where you've got the face-to-face side, but as a technology provider, we have to provide what, what fits and then we can advise them. Once you've got the systems in place, of course, it's easier to add more people to support and more services and more control and using that data to spend your money in, in a wise place. Often there's not people available in, in states or counties because they haven't got the data to prove that if they spent that money in that area with more people, that they're going to get better results. So, so where we can use data to, to drive those decisions and strategy, um, you know, that's starting to happen. And that's, that's really one of the, the exciting bits. A, a small example, court hearings. You know, having the app to remind someone that they've got a court hearing the next day and a couple of hours before and an hour before with a button they can tap that maps it to how they get there and whether it's on public transport or whatever can save hundreds of thousands of, of pounds or dollars a year for a date or whatever for, or more. Jim, I see lots of head nodding there. You know, I mean, going back to the, the original question about, you know, how technology can prevent people ending up in prison in the first place. When James talks about the technology that's available, apps and check-ins, et cetera, et cetera, how that can be utilised to offer people that extra support. So when they are at that junction, instead of going down the wrong route, they've got somebody to turn to go down the right route. I don't have thoughts on how it would make it, make it easier to send people to prison, but I do... One of my only concerns about technology in prison is how it would make it easy for all kinds of professionals and institutions to say that they are supporting all prisoners by using technology. And there's going to come to there's going to be points where that's not going to be appropriate for lots of prison residents. And my only concern would be is if we ever sort of replace the sort of the face to face aspect of prison life, the the support from the prison officers, the support from key workers, the support from other professionals, that will that would be my concern. Less about it being easier for people to go to prison due to the technology, but easy easier for us to think that, yeah, you know what, we, we've got all this technology, so we're doing the job right. We, we should never forget that, you know, the guys in prison, people in prison often need sort of human relationships and the need that support to uh, keep them in good spirits while they're in prison, but also to help them when they finally get out as well in the hope that they don't return. Just to finish off, can you tell us what are Code 4000 aiming to achieve within the justice system? What's your long-term vision? When you look at the successes that we've had, something like 40% of Code 4000 graduates are in employment within the tech sector or self-employment or have started their own business. You compare that to the national rate for prisoners leaving prison and going into employment, it's something like 17%. So what we always think within Code 4000 is, you know, what could we be doing if we were in all 180 prisons or so in the United Kingdom? Once we've built relationships, as we are doing with bigger organisations, supportive organisations, people who want to take on our graduates, who want to train them to become software developers, who want to give them a career which is attractive enough for them to to leave their past behind and and basically look to the future. If we can do what we've done in, in the three prisons that we're already in, what could we achieve if we were in all of the prisons in the United Kingdom? And that is basically where we see ourselves. It's simply about, we think that what we do works, it's effective in both filling in the skills gap and it's effective in reducing reoffending. So the more people we can 
touch with the programme, the more people we can get involved with the, with our programme, the better for everybody. You know, the taxpayer, the you know, communities and the prisoners and offenders themselves. Awesome. Thanks, Jim and James. Yeah, um, this British Telecom HMP 5 Worlds project is is particularly exciting because it's allowing us to bring in what we're doing in other other places around the world as well. So we're going to have the, the tablets for the for the prisoners. We're going to be having the, the Socrates rottle system. So that'll allow them to uh, have more rottle on a day-to-day basis, people going to the community. And then the, the release app, whether it's monitored or not, just simply having that release app for all your information and support that you know, really bringing all of that in together so that probation are then able to use that release app to stay in touch with the user and bridge that gap between prison and probation. And which is, you know, it's not just the UK that has a problem with, you know, someone leaving prison and not having the the follow-on support. It happens all, all over the world. And that's something that I really think we can, we can help change with, with Socrates. Something that I do find really interesting when I see people on the Code 4000 course and you talk to the prisoners, you, they'll, they'll, they'll say things like, I've got ADHD or, you know, I've got this issue or that issue. But when I'm coding, I'm just focused on coding and it draws them in and they want to do more. And they're literally having to drag them out of the learning, out of the classroom to get back to their cell. And they want to take things back to their cell to carry on learning. And, and I just love seeing that and hearing that feedback from, from the prisoners that are, that are using Code 4000. And, and yeah, it's just, just great work that, that you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Cheers, James. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, James and Jim. COVID-19 has accelerated the use of technology across the justice sector, and the challenge now is to ensure this innovation continues. But it brings new challenges, protecting data, the cost of technology and keeping it up to date, and building the capability of an entire sector. As discussed today, we must ensure that we let robots be robots and humans be humans, when the goal is to rehabilitate individuals into our communities, good relationships are essential. (laughs) 